Always on Target on The Face Radio with your host, Maud Marty. Welcome to On Target, where I spin Northern Soul, Mod Beat, Rare Groove, and Forgotten Gems, all on vinyl, all at 45 RPM. I'm your host, Mod Marty. And as promised this week, I have an interview with Fast Freddy, the Boogaloo Omnibus. Fast Freddy's been shaking up the music industry since the mid-1970s, when he started LA's Backdoor Man magazine in 1975 paving the way for the punk rock and new wave scenes of the late 1970s in the U.S., especially on the West Coast. Since then, he's written for Slash Magazine, LA Weekly, New York Rocker, Rock Scene, and even Billboard Magazine. He's managed acts, written songs, and even been a singer in a band called Fast Freddy and The Precisions, who put out two full LPs. He's a poet, a painter, and a connoisseur of 60s soul records. So you know he's my kind of people. Until recently, he lived in Brooklyn after leaving the sunshiny coast of Los Angeles, and we talk about that in the interview. I started off the show with the record that Fast Freddy sold me when I met him in Lancaster, Pennsylvania back in 2022 at the Keystone Weekend. The track's called 
pizza sure is good and is by Dick and Libby Halliman. It came out in 1965 on the Summit label. So this guy is a mover and a shaker and has been for years. And so it is with a huge amount of honor and excitement that I bring you Fast Freddy the Boogaloo Omnibus. Fast Freddy Patterson, how are you doing? Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. <laughs> it's so great to reconnect with you because we met at, at Keystone. Keystone. Were you at this last one? Did you go to the last one? Oh, yeah. I think I'm the only one who, besides Julio who's been at every single one. Oh, wow. Yeah. Every one. <laughs> yeah. There's been seven and I've been at all seven. That's wild, man. I was asked to do this one, but I decided to uh, skip a year so that some new blood can come in. There was but a lot gonna... of yeah. There was a lot of new blood. Oh, that's great. I, I will be doing it again next year, though. Okay. So I, I hope you're you'll continue to do it, and I get to see you in person again. Well, if I don't DJ, I'll probably show up anyway. Oh, perfect. I mean, it's not too far away from where you are. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's about five hours. I guess it's closer than you. <laughs> yes, much, much closer than me. <laughs> so you're in uh, uh, Brooklyn, right? Not anymore. I'm in uh, the Hudson Valley now. Oh, okay. I lived in Brooklyn for 30 years. And then um, in 2020, I moved up like near Poughkeepsie. It's like north and east of Poughkeepsie in the Dutchess County. You like it out there? Yeah, I like it a lot. Yeah, my job moved up here. And so I moved with it. So let's uh, rewind a little bit back to the sort of the beginning of it all. Did you grow up in New York? I grew up in California, in Southern California, in a city called Torrance, which is in the South Bay. It's kind of a beach town. It's got a little bit of beach there, but it's right next to Hermosa Beach and Redondo Beach. Nice. It's pretty close to places like uh, Hawthorne, where the Beach Boys grew up. Right. It's pretty close to uh, uh, San Pedro, where the Minutemen were, you know. Yeah. Growing up, were records a part of your journey or was it all about like making music for you? No, it was never really about making music. As much as I wanted to, uh, I could never learn to play an instrument and I never really learned music and never really learned how to sing or anything, even though I made records. That's another Yeah, story. you did. That's, that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, it was always about records. Yeah. You know, from uh, like a pretty young age. When it first struck me, it must have been in 1967. I was like in eighth grade. Yeah. And um, I remember a friend of mine came by on his bicycle and we're talking about things. And he's he's got a radio. He's listening to the radio as he's riding on his bicycle. And we're talking about just school things or something. And all of a sudden, a Doors record came on, Break On Through, their first single. Oh, yeah. It was a hit in L.A., but I don't think anywhere else. But in L.A., it got radio play. And Break On Through comes on the radio. And we both just kind of stopped and listened to it until it was over. And it was just like, oh, my God, you know. To hear that for the first time, yeah. for the first time, like yeah. as as it's coming out and to experience that must have been really something. Well, it was. And it was, you know, a period where there was a lot of great records on the radio at the time, you know, 1967. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, it was kind of interesting because the record just sounded different than everything else. So that was a record that was that kind of helped catapult me into this. Another one was Mystic Eyes by them. Oh, yes. That's another yeah. one of those songs when you when I listen to it, I go, wow. 
because it just doesn't sound like anything else. Right. You know, especially at the time. Yeah, I can only imagine what that must have been like. So did that lead you into that kind of music or was it music in general? Like what, what were you first drawn to in terms of seeking out sounds? Well, music in general, I guess, but mostly rock and stuff. For a while, when I was in high school, especially freshman year, I made it a point to always have at least one record that was in the top 20 or something. And then it got to the point where my mind started going other places. I think one of the things that helped was that I discovered Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that was like a jumping off ground to a lot of other things because I realized it didn't have to be on the top 40 to be a cool record. Right. You know, and I started, there was a record store in my neighborhood. Well, it was about a mile away. I could go on my bicycle there. And they had a free magazine called Go Magazine. And it was sponsored by, uh, I think, KHJ, one of the local radio stations. And it had a lot of mostly pop stuff, some soul stuff. And it also had interesting articles about up and coming bands. And so that got me into, you know, these new bands sound good. And I started reading about, you know, bands from San Francisco or underground bands and things like that. And, you know, I started getting into all kinds of things from that. The, the, the age before the internet where you had to really sort of do your due diligence when it comes to finding new stuff, especially underground. Exactly. Right? If you wanted to find something that was different, that was off the beaten path, you really had a search. You really had a want to look for something new and different. And for some reason, I decided that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to find something new and different. And it's funny because uh, a lot of times I'll find something new and different. No one else would like it. And then a little later, everybody likes it. You know, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you a couple of examples. I had the first Creedence Clearwater album, you know, the blue one. Yeah. And nobody liked it. I'd bring it to my eighth grade parties, you know, and nobody liked it. <laughs> nobody wanted to hear that version of Suzy Q. You know, right? And I go, oh God, okay. And another record I had for eighth grade parties, I think it was eighth grade parties for around that time, was uh, Inagata De Vita. I had the first Iron Butterfly album, and then when the second one came out, I, I bought it right away, and I brought it to parties, and nobody wanted to hear the drum solo. And then six months later, everybody, that's all you could hear was Inagata De Vita. You're just that little bit ahead of everybody else, right? Yeah, it's, it's been my curse, I guess. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but and as a result, though, uh, people that I know will follow, say, your blog or stuff that you do, and you do introduce people to new sounds. Like, that's what I'm always trying to do with my show. Well, that's the whole point, I think, is to introduce people to new music. The way I was introduced to new music by, like, older people or or record store clerks or, or just, you know, different things or reading about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, we should share, you know, that's my feeling. We should share. Exactly. I mean, we're sort of stewards of the music, like keeping it going and keeping it alive because otherwise it will disappear if there aren't people to introduce it to the next generations. And because what you're describing, your uh, interest and passion and, and what kicked you off happened to me, like, 20 years later, right? Right. So, it, but it was the same thing. I mean, this was still before the internet. I was still having to look through magazines and so on to, to find the, the interesting stuff. But it really came down to 
digging through boxes of records and just pulling something out and seeing what it sounded like and digging it or not, right? Right, right. <laughs> Which is still the way we do it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I you know I don't listen to a lot of contemporary music. Yeah, me either. But that doesn't mean I want to hear, listen to the same five songs I heard in high school over and over. Because I won't. I don't listen to Inagata Vita really anymore, or Creedence, or right, of course, or Cream, or, or Eric Clapton, or any of those bands that were really big when I was in high school. I don't want to hear it anymore. I've heard them. It's over for me. You know. Yeah, you're you're on to the next thing because there is so much out there so that's much still out to there. be discovered. Like you figure, look at soul records. There's so many soul uh, records, and unbelievable. It's unbelievable, and you you think about those records, and you think. Somehow these guys, I mean, especially with soul records, because they have horns. Yeah. There's a lot of horns and sometimes even strings. And some of these records never did anything, but they have these big productions. How did they pay for them? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just like, it's amazing to me that they were able, I understand how a garage band could make records because it's four guys. They're all for one or one for all. They go into a garage or, or wherever they, even if they pull money or borrow money, go into a recording studio and cut a record. Yeah. They need a guitar or a bass, a, yeah. pair, a set of drums and that's it. That's it. It's easy. <laughs> but you know, in soul music, it's like they have horns. They have all these people who can actually play Yeah, and, and they've got to get paid. I mean, most of those musicians are not going to do it for free, you know. And I don't blame them. Well, and, <laughs> yeah, know? I don't. I, I don't either. I mean, it's, yeah. you you want to make a living doing what you love. Exactly, or you're it's good your at, job, right? you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, talking about records, why don't uh, I, I? So one of the things that I did was ask you to pull up three records that you thought either I've never heard, which is most likely, <laughs> or you don't think gets the play that it deserves. Do you, you want me to name them now? Yeah, well, name the, okay. pick out the first one. Okay. The Jerk by the Whalers. Oh, very you know, nice. You know that record? I, I do know it, but it does not get a lot of play. It's a fantastic record. I first heard it from uh, Richard Lewis. Do you know who Richard Lewis is? Uh, no, I don't. He calls himself DJ Honky. He's like, <laughs> okay. he, he's like one of the smartest, <laughs> most fabulous and humble people I know. And he and Michael Robertson used to do the Dig Deeper shows in Brooklyn, where they'd find an old soul singer who hasn't done anything in a long time, bring them out, have them learn his old songs. They had a great band, and they put on these shows. And it was just amazing. Brilliant. And Richard Lewis was, you know, I used to host, uh, I wasn't the host, but I was the resident DJ for Subway Soul Club in Manhattan. Oh, that was in the early 2000s we did that. Most of the 2000s, I guess, up to up until about maybe five or six years ago. And um, Richard Lewis was a guest DJ one time, and he played that record. And I go running to it. I go, man, this is an amazing record. I go running to the DJ booth, and he looks at me like I was going to get mad at him for not playing a soul record. Because it's, <laughs> you know, it's a ska record. Yeah, yeah. But I go, this is amazing. This is am And he shows it to me. Yeah, I, oh my God, it took me a really long time to find a copy. And it is their take on the Four Larks, the jerk, right? No, no, it's a totally different song. It's a totally, it's a different, totally different song. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Totally I, I'm trying song. to remember it because I came across it at the same time that I came across another reggae version of the okay. Larks. Okay, hold jerk. on. Yeah, but hold on. There are actually three different Whalers records with jerk in the title. Oh, at least three okay. that I know. There may be more. There's one of them's called Ska Jerk which is actually shotgun rewritten. Yeah. <laughs> and 
The other one is Jerk in Time. Okay. Which is kind of a, a slower song, more of a rock steady type yeah. beat, I think. Well, let's give that one a listen and then we'll come back and, and chat about it some more. <laughs> That's, that is absolutely like quintessential uh, whalers. Like you can definitely hear Bob Marley's voice in there. Yeah. And it's got that nod to R&B, even though it is a, a ska record. It's just a rock and ska record. Yeah. It, it, I just loved it. When Richard Lewis played it, I just go, oh my God, this is fantastic. <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> and that's one of the things that I actually, I, I enjoy about what you do too, is that you don't go for the really expensive records or the ultra, ultra, ultra rare records. You go for just what's good. Sometimes it can be like a dollar record, but it's good, right? If I have expensive records, I bought them accidentally. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, I don't do research on what are the big records, that kind of thing. I just, you know, I go through records. I like this one. I buy it. And sometimes, sometimes, I mean, I paid, I think, three or $400 for a record, uh, I guess, back in December. And it was a record I really wanted. 
and I knew about it. And it goes for even more than that sometimes. Okay, I'm spending it. That's the most I've ever spent on a record. And that's the way it goes sometimes. Sometimes yeah. it's on one that you really want and you just have to pull the trigger and <laughs> yeah. put the bucks out there. There's been nights when I play a record like Twine Time by Alvin Cash and the Crawlers. Yeah. And people freak out. You know, it's a $5 record, but people freak out. But the funny thing is this. Some of the people who freak out are people who are heavy record collectors, you know, especially younger ones. They don't know the big hits. You know, yeah, they, they go straight to the deep cuts. Straight to the <laughs> yeah. top. Exactly. They don't they don't have Wilson Pickett records. They don't have Temptations right. records. You know, they go straight to the records that's a five hundred dollar record, eight hundred dollar record. You know, that's what they buy. Yeah. And you know, I guess that's one way to do it. But when you hear twine time and you freak out, I go, Come on, you gotta know this record. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a great tune. It's a great but... <laughs> record. It's one of the greatest records of all time. Absolutely. There's also that experience of building up to those heavy hitters, right? right. Like when you do discover things through the hits. And then that leads you to a little bit more of a deeper cut. That leads you to a little bit more of a deeper cut. And then you work your way to the heavier stuff. I'm now finding records, like I'm finding that my entire want list is $500 yeah, and yeah. up. And I'm like, yeah, I'm never going to get feeling. these records. <laughs> but uh, every once in a while you get lucky. There was an expensive record I saw. Actually, at Keystone, some guy was selling this record that, that I would have spent about $100 on. It wasn't in really good shape, but it sounded good. It sounded really good. And he had it for like 8 bucks or 10 bucks or something. I go, oh, wait a minute. This is an expensive. I didn't tell him that, of course. I go, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I just put it in my pile. I'm buying this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, that happens every once in a while. And every it's, once it's in a while. Nice. Yeah. Well, every once in a while, we win one. <laughs> you, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's what that's the dragon, right? That's yeah. the dragon that we're chasing. Exactly. So back in, what, about mid-70s, you, you started up Backdoor Man, right? Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Like, what was that about? How did it come about? I mean, because it paved the way for a lot of bands in, in punk and new wave, right? My friends and I were all into music, and we were very serious about it. We read Cream Magazine. That was probably the main thing we, we yeah. read at the time. And Cream Magazine seemed to be giving going more and more towards this pop thing with Elton John or something, you know, and you just, uh, you know, come on, where's, <laughs> where's the heavy stuff, you know? And this is like, we started in 1974. The impetus for this was seeing Patti Smith at the Whiskey A Go-Go. Oh. And I think that was 1974, November of 74. And it was just, just a three piece. It was Patti Smith, Lenny Kay, and the keyboard player, uh, Richard Soule. I think his name is, they call him DMV, I think. I mean, it wasn't necessarily super rockin', but it had this like sort of an intellectual rock and roll thing going on. Yeah, it was very heavy, and n there was nothing like it—absolutely nothing like it in the world. And I just, I just got people got to know about this, you know. Yeah. So that January, I came, I went to my friends. I said, "Let's start a magazine," and they go, "Huh?" And I go. <laughs> My friends were smart. They knew about music. They cared about music. Some of them were in bands and can play. And I just said, let's get together. Let's make a magazine. They go, okay. So I, I gave them assignments. You're writing about this. You're writing about this. Uh, I wrote a manifesto, basically. And in my manifesto, I basically, I didn't predict the punk thing, but I kind of demanded that it happen. Right. Not necessarily 
punk, though we did, we were using the term punk back then, but we wanted a harder, louder, more, you know, more aggressive, more right? aggressive yeah. music, not necessarily what punk turned into, but something that was different that was on the radio, you know, because at the time, probably, you know, there was what the New York Dolls and early Aerosmith records and Bloister Cult and Mott the Hoople. Those were the records we cared about. We, and, and some of the glitter things, you know, we liked Susie Quattro. The sweet, some of those records, you know, yeah. Mud and, and some of the early David Bowie stuff. You know, we liked some of those records. And there were, just wasn't enough of that around. You know, we wanted more. And we demanded that people go back to the roots and just make rock and roll records again. Yeah, make rock and roll, like re real rock and roll from the gut. Exactly. And to me, that's what good punk rock is. It's rock and roll records, just louder and faster. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That is exactly what it is. And then that that leads into everything that came afterwards in New Wave. And I mean, all the stuff that was coming from England had influence. I mean, honestly... America was influencing England and England was influencing America. Well, it went back and forth. And, you know, I mean, the, the New York Dolls go over there and then a bunch of bands are started because of that. Right. You know, and Johnny Thunders goes over there after the Dolls break up. And, you know, the guys from the Sex Pistols were their roadies or something, you know, before, yeah. they, <laughs> before they had the band, you know, or the Damned or I don't know, something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I definitely do. I mean, good for you for taking the initiative to actually do something about the terrible stuff that was on the radio is essentially it, right? Well, I just wish we were better business people because we really were not good business people. And also, I wish I was a better writer back then because really, I cringe at some of the things I wrote back then. Well, still, it's it, it it's punk rock in and of itself, isn't it? Yeah, it's very raw. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, very, it's very raw. <laughs> and you're just trying to get your, your thoughts and emotions out. Like exactly good writing be damned. Just like, this is what I'm thinking. This is what needs to happen. This is where the music industry is and what it's doing to music and so on. Right. Exactly. Plus, you know, plus we had typos and stuff. I mean, we tried real hard. It was expensive to do because I, I didn't really know how to do it. And my first thought was, we're going to do this offset printing thing. And that was ended up being kind of expensive, but um, we went. What, what we we ended up making fifteen issues, I think, in about four years. And it's held in high regard. I mean, it's it's one of those things where you ended up doing what you had set out to do, which was to open people's eyes to the music industry and to you know think outside of the box and and push the envelope. Yeah, and one of the things we did that nobody else was doing is we wrote about local bands right. that, you know, nobody ever did that. I think Cream or somebody might have done it once a year. Here's, you know, the local scenes in Cleveland and New York and LA and those kind of things they'd have. But we, it was our regular editorial thing was to be local bands. You know, when we started out, it was bands from the South Bay, you know, and then when we started getting uh, notoriety in Hollywood, it, it increased. You know, we wrote about, you know, I think we wrote about Van Halen before they made a record. Oh, brilliant. You know, I know I, <laughs> I, know I saw them several times. And there's a bunch of those guys, like like the guy from, you know, the that band Quiet Riot. Oh, yeah. The lead singer. God, what's his name? I can't remember his name now. But I used to see him at record stores. He was a big... He was really, oh, is that right? He was a really big mod record collector. He had all the Small Faces record. Oh, I would not have thought that. <laughs> no, no, it's true. He, he was he was into Slade, the Small Faces, the Creation, 
the action he had, he was into all those records back then. This is like 1975 or something. Wow. You know, I met him before we had the magazine, I'm pretty wow. sure. That's amazing. <laughs> and is that did this lead to the bands and 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 the music that you cuz you've written some songs and you've you've recorded some stuff and Well, the magazine ended I think around 70 late 77 or early 78. And then I didn't get into a band for a long time. I'd never want, well, I kind of back in my head, I, yeah, I'd like to be in a band. I'd like to do that. I think I might be, able, but you know, I really didn't, you know, try and put anything together. Then my friend, Jeffrey, you know, Jeffrey Lee Pierce, he was a good buddy of mine and we used to hang out all the time. And in 1978, I was living in Hollywood. He'd come over all the time and we decided we wanted to put a band, well, he decided really that he wanted to put a band together for me. And he had um, he had always already had this band called The Red Lights. That already They recorded a demo and they broke up. And I don't even know if they did any gigs, but their demo was really good and actually was released a couple of years ago. So Jeffrey says, come on, we've got to put a band together. So we put a band together. It took a while. It was Jeffrey was playing guitar. Our bass player was a fellow named Don Snowden, who was a writer for the LA Times at the time. And it took us a long time to find a drummer. And we went through a bunch of drummers. And finally, we got this guy kind of accidentally. Yeah. What we wanted to do is we wanted to be a, like a, a jump blues band. Awesome. You know, we wanted to be more like an Amos Milburn or, or a Wynonia Harris type of band than anything. Because at the time, the Blasters were just starting out and rockabilly was a big thing. Right. Um, you know, there's all these, this rockabilly revival. We thought, well, let's do something different. Let's do this. And so we decided we'd do that. We'd have to have a sax player. We couldn't find a sax player until we came up with Steve Berlin, who ended up being in Los Lobos. But he was in my band before he was in that band. It's funny because he was in my band. Our first gig was opening for the Blasters. Next thing you know, the Blasters want him. We opened for the Plimsolls. The Plimsolls want him. We opened for the Plugs. The Plugs want him. Almost every band, especially the bands that were bigger and better than us, they all when they wanted a sax player, they call Steve Berlin. He was he's a he's a great musician. Even even you know in 1980 or you know when we met him, he was a great musician. No, it was crazy. But um, he, if I remember right, we rehearsed with Steve when he had just joined the band. And one of the drummers we were trying out was a guy named K.K. Barrett. He was the drummer for the Screamers. Do you know who the Screamers? Oh, okay. The Screamers yep, were the Screamers, a yeah. legendary L.A. punk band. Yeah. Never made a real record, unfortunately. But they were a fantastic band. Influenced a lot of people. A lot of people. Yeah. And they were friends of mine. K.K. was a really good friend of mine. And Tomato, the singer, was a really good friend of mine. And both of them actually made album covers for me. But that's oh, another awesome. <laughs> but that's another story. <laughs> I'm okay. getting ahead of myself. <laughs> but anyway, so we get this band together and Jeffrey says, you know, I can't be in your band anymore because I want to start my own band. So we got this other guy who we knew and he joined the band. So we never did a gig with Jeffrey. So we, we recorded a bunch of stuff in uh, the rehearsal studio, just rehearsing with a cassette deck. Right. Um, and some of it's on the purple rag, the, the, that CD we put out. So Jeffrey, and I knew Jeffrey was going to leave. That was the plan. He was going to start my band and then leave and start his own band. And he, then he started this band called Creeping Ritual, which had Don Snowden, the bass player, in it at first. And then things, I can't remember why Don had to leave the band. And then, you know, it had Kid Congo, you know, Brian Tristan at the time was in the band. And then they made their record and they did really well with that record, the Fire of Love record. But yeah, so Jeffrey started the band for me, and that's why that happened. 
Otherwise, if it weren't for Jeffrey, I, there would be no fast threading deep precisions records. And now you can say that you did that, right? <laughs> like that was something that I, you I wanted say to do. I made and... <laughs> records. I wrote songs. Yes. Yeah. You must have always continued to collect records throughout this whole oh, yeah. time, right? Oh, yeah. But, you know, my problem has always been I never had the money, I never had the time or the resources to really dig deeper, to, to really go right. after records and stuff. Uh, most of the fabulous records I have, I've got in probably the last 20 years. And if I had got them before, it's almost by accident, you know, like, right. like chocolate watch band singles. I got those in the seventies when you can buy them for five bucks, you know, right now, <laughs> then I'll forget it. Yeah. So you, did you DJ then? I've been DJing since the early seventies, since about oh, 73 okay. or four I started out in, in San Pedro and Carson area where my friends live at these like backyard parties where we'd hook up a turntable to somebody's guitar amp. Oh, nice. And I call them uh, keg and quaalude parties. <laughs> it's where, where people just get really messed up. You know, oh, they just yeah. get stoned and go, oh, they're like zomb totally zombified. Those, those are the kind of parties. And I started doing that because you know, we go to these regular parties at somebody's house and they'd be playing an Elton John record or a Peter Frampton record or something. I go, come on, this is a party. And then, you know, everybody would have a Rolling Stones record. So I'd put the Rolling Stones record on and play the hot cuts from it. You know, pe people would have, you know, maybe some Motown records or something. And I'd play those hot cuts and, and people, you know, you start playing those in a row and people get up and dance and go, yeah, yeah, this yeah. is great. This is great. No one's going to dance to a Peter Frampton record. No. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or they want to listen to, I don't know, just uh, some stupid hippie stuff. You know, I, I go, come on. You yeah, know, it's about the, it's like, listen to the music, feel the music, exactly. get up, dance and so have I'd, fun. I just go through their record collection. First, before I started bringing my own records to parties, I'd go through their record collection and go, oh, this is this has got three good cuts. I can play those. You know, this one's got, this one's got this cool song, you know, and, and I, I would just take over the turntable, you know, and that's how, that's how I got into it. That's awesome. That's the, that's a great way to do it. Cause that's, that's genuine. That's organic. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then people told me, people started inviting me to their party, bring your records and play. So, so that's how that started. Awesome. Well, okay. Well, let's, uh, let's break this up with uh, your second uh, choice for playing on the show. My second choice is this record I found accidentally. I must've found it about 20 years ago. It's called Good Times by the Nomads. I don't know this one. It's an Australian group. Oh, I've heard of the no Nomads the from Nomads Australia. The Nomads from Australia. It's an Australian group. It's kind of a cool pop rock. I think of it as kind of a mod record, but it's an interesting record because it's kind of a sad song and it's kind of a happy song at the same time. You know, you That's sing what Northern Soul is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of. <laughs> Because he's he's carrying he's going on about how his girl left him and he's thinking about the good times that they had and at the end it kind of, it's kind of this rave up at the end good times oh, nice. good, but it's it's really cool it's got a great beat and the kids can dance to it <laughs> as they say well let's give it a listen. Some other 
Face Radio, and you are listening to On Target. It's what's in the grooves that count. Visit ontargetpodcast.ca, the official On Target website, for all episodes and links to your favorite listening apps, including Apple Podcasts, Google, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, and Player FM. We are also available for download at iHeartRadio, Odyssey, Ghana, Roomplay, and Deezer. Listen, comment, download, share, and feel free to send me an email directly at mod.marty at yahoo.com. That is definitely something that you can dance to. And and yeah. you're right. It does have that sort of, it has that pop sensibility. The horns are that bright horn sound really brings it up. Yeah. And it, it's, it's crazy. It's like, he is, he's talking about being sad and everything when he's like, yeah, come on, get up. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it's- I, I love it. Yeah. See, you just turn around to something. It's a weird record, and I found it at a record show. Oh, yeah, $7. It cost me $7. Nice. <laughs> I'm listening. You know, you go through records, and you listen to them on your, yeah. record, your record player at the record show. You go, this is kind of a cool record. And at first, I didn't think it was that fabulous, but it's only $7, so I bought it. It's an Australian record, so I figured I'm never going to see it again. Yeah, that's... I bought <laughs> You know, it's, it really grew on me. It's one of those records that just, can, I can listen to it a million times. I love this record. Yeah, it, I can definitely see that. And something you could play out and have people dance to it, even if they don't know it. Like, that's one of the things that I love uh, when DJing is to have people dancing, throw on something that nobody knows, yeah. but they're like, whoa, this is great. And I can exactly. still dance to this. And exactly. it's like, exactly. that's one of those tracks. Yeah, yeah, it is. Definitely. So you're uh, you're still writing, right? Like you, you still do a blog. Well, I do my blog. And when somebody asks me to write something, I try to do it. I don't get asked as often as I used to. And unfortunately, sometimes they ask me and they don't give me a deadline. And because of that, I don't do it. You know, because <laughs> yeah, it's just, that's the worst. <laughs> I go, yeah, yeah. You want me to write for your magazine? Sure. Tell me what you want me to write. And for a while, I was writing um, the obituary column for uh, Goldmine Magazine or Discoveries. And that was really fun. That was a really great thing for me to do. <laughs> Wild. Was it like celebrity obits? Or? No, it was music people. 
Goldmine and Discoveries were both uh, record collector magazines. Yeah, that's why I, I've heard of Goldmine. I've not heard of Discoveries. So it's all musicians. Yeah, it's all musicians. Yeah, you know, Ray wow. Charles died. Here's a here's a thing. You know. Yeah, that would be really interesting. Actually, like it's not as morbid as it sounds. <laughs> it's- no, it's not as morbid as it sounds. But it's it, it, it for me. It was really good because I get to research, pull out people's lives and make them try to make them come alive a little bit and yeah. tell them why the why these people are important. Yeah, which in fact they are, right? Yeah. So plug your blog here. Uh, I want to plug a, a couple of things if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. Please do. One is the blog, the boogloobag.com. It's where I, you know, when I have a DJ set, I list talk about what happened and I list all the songs I played. And mostly the songs will have uh, YouTube links to them. If you go to each song, there'll be a YouTube link. Right. And the other thing I want to talk about is my radio show. I have uh, a sort of a radio show. It's uh, uh, on Luxurium Music. They have this thing called uh, the Saturday Night Special. And it's rotating a bunch of DJs who just, you know, whenever they have a show ready, boom, they give it to them. And and so um, they asked me to do that because I couldn't do it regularly. Yeah. I'm just too busy and too freaked out. And uh, so I said, well, you know, I'll deliver a show when I can. And one year I delivered 10 shows. And last year, I think I only delivered six. Uh, and I'm hoping to beef it up more this year. And how, how do people listen to that? It's on luxuriamusic.com. Okay. Uh, the best thing that for them to do would be to go to, there's a Facebook page for the show called The Go Mechanism. Ah. And so if you do a search in Facebook for Go Mechanism, and there's a group, the Go Mechanism group. And then that'll direct you to the show. It tell, Yeah, I'll announce on there when the next show is. The next show is actually going to be Saturday, this Saturday. Oh. You're not going to run this before that, are you? It'll be lo- locally, it'll be on Saturday, but it uh, depends on what time. It'll be, it goes on my time, it's uh 10 to midnight. So 10 to midnight, your time would be 9 to 11, our time. So go to Facebook, look for the Go Mechanism, and that'll take you to the show, which will start at 9, Winnipeg time. So listeners on UMFM, tune in tonight. There you go. Luxuriamusic.com. It's a cool station. They play a lot of weird stuff. And their shows that they have, they have specialty shows. And most of them are really cool. They have some great people uh, doing the shows. Uh, my friend Lee Joseph does a lot of 60s stuff. Kate Griffith does a jazz show. It's kind of fun. And this guy who does his show right after the Saturday Night Special has a show called No Condition is Permanent, which is very eclectic and kind of crazy. And his co-host is a dog. <laughs> awesome. And it's it's very un, uh, it's unconventional. Let's just say it's yeah, unconventional. That's good radio, though. Yeah. Like, and, and I didn't even know about this, so I'm going to tune in myself. Yeah. And on, th- on Thursday nights, is uh, my friend uh, Gene has a show called uh, Atomic Cocktail. And he plays a Atomic lot. Atomic Cocktail? Yeah, yeah. And he plays a lot of great stuff, too. You can find it all on the Luxury Music website. Definitely going to check that out. So the Go Mechanism, my radio show is called The Go Mechanism. And it'll air on Saturday. And then uh, it'll be on there as a podcast. It's there on their website for about three or four weeks. After a while, I I put the, uh, the show on Mixclouds. So you can right. do a search on Mixclouds for Go Mechanism. And also I put it in the Boogaloo bag. There you go. Yeah. And I don't back announce. And so you need to... 
read the Boogaloo Bag entry, the corresponding Boogaloo Bag entry on the Go Mechanism program for that particular show in order to get all the, the track listings. So I have all the tracks and I, I talk about, you know, like you will talk about uh, on your show, you'll you play a record and you go, and that was by so-and-so who did this and that, and also he did this. Yeah. So all that kind of stuff is in the Boogaloo Bag on the entry. Oh. Great. So it's almost like a, the audio accompaniment to the Boogaloo bag. It's the program, basically. It's like, you know, you want to see who's playing and, uh, you know, you need the program to, to know who the players are. <laughs> ah, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Do you do nights anymore or do you just guest DJ or? DJ nights? I have, I have a... I have a regular night in Kingston at this place called the Salt Box, and it's a it's an old old stone building that was Kingston, Ontario. Kings, no, sorry, Kingston, New York. Oh, Kingston. Oh, there's a Kingston in New York. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kingston, New York, and it was um, it's an old old building. It's like a 300 year old building. Wow. And I'm there on the fifth Saturday of the month when there is one, and there's like four or five a year. Oh, okay. So uh, that's that's awesome. So that means that you don't have to do it every month, right? But you get to do it often enough, yeah. and it's on a still on a night that people can remember the the fifth Saturday of every fifth month. Fifth Saturday of the month when there is one. The next one is in March. It's that's called Funky Kingston. Ah, brilliant! <laughs> that's great. So we play funk records and reggae records and ska records and mambo records and different things, soul records. We have fun with it. That's the way to do it, you know. Did you meet Scott Boyko when you were? Oh, yeah, yep. yeah. So Scott he was, and I have become pretty good friends. Oh, good. He's he's like a, yeah. a, a great guy, and he was my guest DJ last time in, in December. Oh, awesome! Yeah, yeah. He came up to Toronto when I was in Toronto the last time, and we got to spend the weekend together. So it was it was a lot of fun. But you know, he always sells me records. Oh, good. He also came to Montreal actually last year. So is for me, I need a passport to go to Canada now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I hate that. I hate that because because you never. Need Needed that before, you know. I've been to Canada, you know. I've never been to Canada with a passport, but I've been to Canada several times. I've always enjoyed it, you know. I've been to um, where have I been? I've been to Victoria, Vancouver. I've been to well, Toronto and Ontario. And um, what's the one right across the river from Detroit? That's Windsor, Ontario. That's a cool little town. And I've been to uh, went to this big folk festival in in uh, a city that's just north of. Uh, Minnesota, Minneapolis. Yeah, that's that's Winnipeg. That's where you. That's, that's where yeah, I live. That's where you are. Yeah. So yeah, it was I was Winnipeg. about to say. I bet you've never been to Winnipeg. So I've you been, have. So that's yeah, awesome. I have, I've been to Winnipeg. Yeah, they had a folk festival there. Yeah, the folk festival is huge here. It's massive. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was there with Peter Case. Peter Case is a friend of mine, and for a while I was sort of his road manager, and he had a little band at the time. He had a, a bass player and a drummer, and we did these tours, and one of them went through Winnipeg. That, that that was a really great the folk festival is really fantastic yeah here. it's really good i mean this is where the guess who came from you know like yeah. uh, they they came from here there's a lot of really good garage bands in the 60s yeah, came from here it's a, it's a big music town yeah yeah it, it really is okay we're running low on time so i'm gonna ask for your third pick okay my third pick is mexico setente by damaso perez prado perez prado yeah, you've heard of Pres Prado. Yeah. He's, you know, he made those Mambo records. But yeah, in, yeah. In 1970, Mexico 70, 1970, Mexico was host to the World Cup. 
Oh. And, and so Mexico, you know, got to play in the World Cup then. And they he cut this record to celebrate Mexico being in the World Cup. <laughs> awesome. And it's 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 a fabulous kind of a weird funk record, really. Yeah, I, I would love to hear that. <laughs> Let's put that one on. think is really powerful about that is it starts out like a, a football stand chant you know boom, yeah. boom, 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I think <laughs> so, that's like, the whole it, idea because it's yeah. it, it was for a it's for a, you know the, the World Cup. Yeah. yeah, and then it it's definitely funk, but it also has that Latin flavor. Yeah. And his signature, you know, yeah, like yeah, that's yeah. He, he's famous for. But you add the organ in there, and you got me, got me hooked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a twine time type organ. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's great. Well, you absolutely nailed it with the with the tracks you picked because two of them I'd never heard of before, and the first one I absolutely love, and I don't think it gets played enough. So I really, really appreciate that, and I really appreciate you taking the time to come and talk to me today. And I'm sorry it's so late. Oh, that's night, okay. <laughs> I hope to see you at Keystone next year. And if not uh, before that, because uh, I'm coming to the Hudson Valley, hopefully in the spring, going to do some gigs in the Hudson Valley. So I'll let you know when I'm down Please there. Please let me know. Well, thanks so much, Freddie. And keep on doing what you're doing because you're doing it right. I can't stop it. <laughs> I, I hear you, man. I hear you. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I buy these records. I want to share them, basically. You know what I Absolutely. mean? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. why, why, uh, why keep them here to myself? You know, so, you know, I get asked to DJ some places and uh, sure, here, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's why I do it. I, yeah. Exactly the same reason. All right, man. Thanks again. Yeah, man. What a great guy. Man, what a fun interview. I only wish I had more time with him. There's still so much to unpack there. But, you know, regardless, I am blessed to have had the time that I did. And I hope that you guys got something out of it as well. Make sure that you check out his blog, theboogaloobag.com, and check out his radio show, The Go Mechanism, on luxuriamusic.com. Now, the music that I came writing in on is a track by Travis Wamick called Scratchy from 1964 on the ARA label. And I'm going to gift you a parting track by ex-Zombies vocalist Colin Blunstone going under the pseudonym Neil MacArthur. Here he does a version of the Zombies, She's Not There, but so epically that it'll make you appreciate the track in a totally new way. This has been On Target with yours truly, Maud Marty. Join me every Monday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and every Tuesday at 9 a.m. on The Face Radio. And please visit thefaceradio.com and donate to get a free gift and help to keep the station on the air. Until next time, keep the faith.
one told me about her How many people cried But it's too late to say I'm sorry How would I know? Why should I care? Please don't bother trying to find her She's not there Sorry. 